Girls on Film is pleased to host Mr. Ryan Millsap, CEO of Black Hall Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. A visionary, Millsap weaves a story for Girls on Film of his professional journey, both as a financier and an entrepreneur. Showing a diligence for smart investing from a very young age, Millsap shares how his penchant for entrepreneurial real estate ventures moved him through initial forays in recycling and sustainability and a movie studio mogul. Listen up as Black Hall Studios' Ryan Millsap tells the girls how Black Hall Studios came to be. Hey, this is Sarah Smith with Girls on Film. I'm with Port Wilson. Good afternoon. And we are at Black Hall Studios with no schlump. We're with the CEO, baby. Always want to start at the top. Hello, (laughs) Mr. Ryan Millsap. And uh, everybody, I really want you to go and and look up Mr. Millsap because he is quite the accomplished gentleman, probably um, has a very different background than a lot of people in film in the state of Georgia. And again, we're girls on film. We talk about the movie business in the state of Georgia. And we were actually um, just trying to take a little bit of a step into the political frontier in Georgia, which is hot and hot and heavy right now with some um, action with uh, uh, a couple of different different bills and things that have been taken on by our our governor, Brian Kemp, um, especially the heartbeat bill. Um, We've talked about this before with Professor Mo Ivory of Georgia State, lovely, lovely lady. Check out that episode for an in-depth look into into that bill. Um, But we were again talking to CEO Ryan Millsap of Black Hall Studios. Thank you so much for hosting us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. We just got a great tour of a magnificent facility with some unbelievable projects that we're not allowed to talk about uh, going on. And it's very, very impressive that you have done so much here in such a short period of time. Um, Even before you really started four years ago, you had to be in a position to get a lot of capital together and how did that, can I ask you before we jump into this other stuff, how did that happen? Well, uh, you know, it's the evolution of any career, I suppose. Um, I started entrepreneurial activity when I was in my mid-20s. And what's, my, a, what's that mean? Well, I, you know, <laughs> just when you just wake up one day and you say, well, I don't want to have a job and I don't want to work for somebody else. Right. And what could I start, right? Entrepreneurship is really just starting things from scratch. And so whether that's a real estate project or a venture capital deal, a new company, whatever you're starting from scratch is really entrepreneurship. So, you know, for me, I started um, a concrete recycling company that that, um, required a piece of land to be entitled for concrete recycling, which is a heavy industrial use. 
And it's like it's a green use, so it's like this weird mixture of heavy industrial and green, right? You're taking old concrete, old asphalt, and you're recycling it into another use, so you don't have to uh, use uh, virgin rock to use for road base or whatever. And um, and so in the process of trying to start that, I actually couldn't raise the money, because like you said, it's hard to attract capital, especially when you have no experience, right. no track record. Right. Um, but I had this piece of land that I controlled that I had got entitled, and instead of starting the business, I ended up selling the land to guys that were already concrete and asphalt recyclers. And in that process, I made enough money, I didn't need a job. And so then I said, wow, you know, real estate's a business. There you go. Right. And so yeah. then I said, well, now what skills do I have? Now I have the skills of, I understand land a little bit more. I understand how to entitle land. And so I started uh, controlling other land and uh, entitling it for home building companies. And that was so. Then you know you can imagine how this evolution keeps going. And, right. Uh, but that's where it started. And right before this, I'd you know done a lot of opportunistic real estate. So during the downturn after Lehman Brothers failed, uh, we went out and we bought about eight thousand apartments. Wow. wow. Okay. So, so that's yeah. the multi the multifamily that's piece the multifamily of your piece, yeah. development. Okay. Because mm-hmm. we were wondering about that. It's really interesting. I would just back up a little bit and coming up and how do you go from deep into philosophy, which you studied at Oxford, mm-hmm. into, I'm going to start a business concrete recycling. And there's a sustainable edge to that, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, philosophy for me was a true search for understanding and trying to understand what I uh, wanted to do, what sure. I might should be doing as a human being, what it meant to be human, right. uh, what was going on in the universe, you know, just and trying to f- just fit everything together and come up with kind of a general theory of life which then led to um, the practical question of then how am I going to actually pay for life, right? So once I was out of college and I wasn't just spending all my time studying and writing and talking and hanging out and just like, you know, philosophizing, then um, I needed to come up with some practical ways to pay for my life. And so that started me down a different road, which was philosophically, what can I do that's a good fit for my own psychology, that is a, a joy for me and right. actually happiness for me, and at the same time can actually support my lifestyle as well. I think it takes people, some people a long time to get to that place. Some people never do, but right. yes, yes. Yeah. So, okay, back to the party, you bought how many, 8,000? Yeah, a little less than 8,000, but 8,000 is a good round number. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, but you know, it was an interesting time. I'd, I'd had a, a long background in real estate by that time. I mean, at least for um, a career-wise, you know, right. I'd, I'd, I'd gotten a lot done before that, before the downturn. And so then, uh, when the downturn came, I was in a really good position to be able to partner with a couple wealthy families in Beverly Hills, and then be able to go out and buy a bunch of apartments. Now we we got all, we also got money from other big institutions, you know, college endowments big private equity firms, just the usual places that you might find capital. But the reason we Make were able to Make a note, do- listener, the yeah. usual places, <laughs> okay. Um, but the way the reason I was able to do that at that time is that I already had a track record before that, right? right? So the hard part is like, where do you ever get started in, when it comes to capital and track records? Those early risks are really hard to take and right. sometimes that's why they're best taken young. Right, because it's yeah. before your life has already been established. It's before you have routines and mortgages and kids in school and all these things. That, and a that spouse start, that thinks you're nuts. And a spouse that's right. right. So I had a spouse at the time who thought I was nuts. Okay, <laughs> but she was still young too. She was still young too. So it was but, okay. She yeah. didn't know. Yeah, but I'd say that on some level, entrepreneurship definitely 
was played a big role in the demise of my first marriage, right? I'm not the I'm, I'm actually recently engaged. Gotcha. Congratulations. Okay. Yeah, thank you. How exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Good for you. So, you know, hopefully second time's a charm. It is. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's not easy to be married to an entrepreneur. Hello. Right. So, it's it's a it's it's not for everyone. No. Well, no. just to skip ahead, how do you morph from you you're doing your thing in real estate? Not fast forward to where you are now. How do yeah. you get into production? Well, you know, remember that when we started this, I was I was not a producer, right? I'd, right. I'd funded a small movie and done some things like you know as a as a as a capital provider, right? Um, but I didn't get into this business as anything to do really with Hollywood per se. It really is a specialty real estate play. So. No different than if I built a hospital. I don't have to be a surgeon to build a hospital. Right. Sure. I just have to build a great hospital where a surgeon loves doing their craft. And how so did, that's how did know. Georgia get into your head? Well, so when I bought those apartments, they four thousand of them were in Atlanta. Okay. And the other four thousand were in the southeast, so Chattanooga, Savannah, uh, Raleigh, Nashville. And so I was out here all the time. I, gotcha. I, I started buying real estate in Georgia in the early 2000s. Okay. So I've, I've been doing business here a long time. I moved here six years ago. So after my divorce, then um, I moved permanently to, to Georgia from California. Gotcha. Well, welcome. Yeah. Thank Glad you. you're here. Yeah, no, that's so, really interesting how you went from um, uh, being a philosophical entrepreneur, which it seems like you're still, you still are a philosophical entrepreneur. Well, you can't, if you're philosophically inclined, you never stop stop it's just like part of who you are as a person you're trying to understand things right. so like from a big picture standpoint so even in my business life i've always really lived at 30,000 feet so i'm looking at the big picture i'm trying to understand how everything fits together and that's been my big advantage in a lot of entrepreneurial things is that i'm just ahead i'm ahead of what the trend is i'm ahead of what my competitor might be doing and so then the early movements those big risk movements at the beginning, that's been my specialty. Doing the recycling especially was ahead, I think. Mm -hmm. it, well, it, it was, for especially for the country. Right. Um, for California, it was definitely ahead in that the guys that were doing it were mostly niche providers, you okay. know, like mom and pop kind of shops that maybe got into it by accident. Like the guys that I knew, they had gotten into it because they were third generation road builders. And along the way, they were running into a lot of trouble finding places to put the concrete and asphalt that they were pulling out of the road. Gotcha. And so they just started stacking it up. How does a 26-year-old find meet all these guys that deal in concrete? Well, those guys, interestingly, I was on a board, a nonprofit board with one of them, and he started telling me about his business. And I was, a, I was in finance at the time, and I said, can I analyze your business? And he said, what do you mean? I said, can I come over there and like understand how it all works? And he's like, sure. I mean, that's the cool thing about being when right. you're 22, 23, 24. Right. You're totally, people perceive you as totally safe. Right. 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 So there's like, yeah, come on. You and know. you were curious. I was super curious. Ex and you yeah. I'm sure you still are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'll, I'll tear anything apart. That's very, very cool. I think that's really important mm -hmm. to be um, successful. How was the transition to Atlanta coming from L.A.? Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, really, it's. I know amazing. you spent time here before, but there's a big difference between spending time somewhere and and moving somewhere <laughs> for sure. But what I'll tell you is that L.A. is a ten times better place to visit than Atlanta. Okay. But Atlanta is a ten times better place to live. Woo! Right. So I mean, Atlanta is <laughs> an amazing place we to agree. live. It's it's um, 
it moves at a human pace, right? Right. right. It, it's built um, in more human scale, I think. Um, for sure, there's just so much less tension, general tension. Okay. When you live in Los Angeles, a lot of your life is spent trying to figure out how you're going to get from point A to point B. Transportation. Right. right? Without getting just just crushed in traffic and right. people in Atlanta like to talk about traffic but traffic here at its absolute worst is not even close to like <laughs> right. uh, not even the worst in LA LA is so bad it's on a just a totally different level amazing and mm-hmm. the and the pollution too but so then the other thing that I loved is that you know taxes are a lot lower here yep. so when I moved here um, you know I bought a home in in Atlanta proper in, in Buckhead and then I went out and nice I bought Nice neighborhood, a, folks. It's a, a beautiful area. Nice and then I went out and I bought a farm and uh, social circle out past Covington. Oh, oh yeah. wow. And I pay for both of those houses with my tax savings from leaving California. Hello. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Right? So that makes... that, oh that That's happiness in and of itself. There it's you just go. like the cost of living differential is so huge. Um, not only with lower taxes, but then also just quality of life in general you can get a much higher quality of life for a much lower cost of living than you can in california Absolutely. and you see that with in the in the entertainment business yeah. we have all these amazing people working in all these incredible uh, niche roles in a production company and they're all making the same amount of money they were making in california and they get to georgia and they say oh my gosh my life right is so much better here right can i ask a production question yeah um this is just from I've worked in TV a long time, but I have friends who work in the in the film business. And when it first started coming to Atlanta, like back in the uh, We Are Marshall days, there's still a lot of New York, L.A. prejudice. Like, we'll shoot here, but we're processing in L.A. or we're editing in New York or, you know, the, it's or Atlanta. Or we're distributing we, it in a, L.A. A friend of mine actually had, he's a, a, a wonderful grip, and he was working on a show, and the guy said, are you professional or are you local? And he was like, damn. <laughs> well, I mean, so some of that might be, I mean, there might be some power play stuff going on inside of different areas. But what I'll tell you from, a, from my experience at dealing with the executives in LA is that there, it has no, nothing to do with prejudice. It has nothing to do with alliances, allegiances, any of that kind of stuff. It has to do with the fact that the money to film, to, to fund all these productions is coming from California. Now, some of it's coming from India, some of it's coming from China, some of it's right. coming from the Middle East. It comes from all different places, but it aggregates in LA right. in the hands of decision makers who get to decide what movies and television gets greenlit. Mm-hmm. So then when it gets greenlit in LA, oftentimes then the top guys in a movie, the producer, the director, they're hired out of LA mostly because there aren't people in Georgia generally that are at the level of Steven Spielberg. Right. Right. right? We're a generation from that. I mean, part of the part of having a tax credit in place, it's not a five-year game; it's a thirty-year game. Right. right? We, if we want to have Steven Spielberg's come out of Georgia, then you have to have a tax credit in place for generations. Right. To to inculcate it as a, as a normalized part of the culture. Well, in California, they have a hundred-year head start on us culturally. True. Absolutely. So the top talent is coming from California, and they're getting shipped to. Georgia or London or Vancouver or Toronto to make a movie or a piece of television. And when they're finished, having been away from their families for six months, eight months, 12 months, then they just want to go back to California and be able to do their post-production editing and finalization at home. And so there's almost no amount of money you could give somebody to make it worth spending another six months away from home. So until we get to a place where 
Um, we are attracting the top producers, directors, which will only happen when Georgia has money to fund television and movies, which we don't have right now. But when we have that, then we'll start attracting that talent to live here. But in the meantime, the money's sitting in California, so the highest level talent is sitting in California. Mm -hmm. So the highest level talent is then taking all the work product home to finish. Right. So, Ryan, we you were talking a little bit before we, we put our headphones on about your meeting with um, Governor Kemp. And I would just love your perspective on the political climate here in Georgia and how it is affecting the film business here. Yeah, well, for, you know, first I'll say about Governor Kemp, I think he's a lovely person, and I think he's a good person. I think he's incredibly well-intentioned. Um, I think that um, everything he's doing is authentic to himself. So, you know, I've got nothing negative. I've got lots of positive to say about who he is as a person. Now, I think the um, heartbeat bill was passed, you know, in haste. I think a lot of people didn't see it coming. It kind of got jammed through at the end of the legislative session. I don't believe anybody at the highest levels of power had any idea the repercussions. Right. Not just for the movie industry, but really for Georgia as a whole and its reputation. Um, and, and for any of the other major companies that are international companies like Home Depot and UPS and uh, Delta, uh, Newell Rubbermaid, Porsche, you know, Mercedes, all of these, you know, it's, it's hard to explain to a, a German executive that he's been transferred to Georgia and that in Georgia they're having a huge debate over whether or not a woman can have an abortion. Right. And that's, you know, that's out of, right. you know, that would be mm-hmm. out of line with kind of international standards for uh, major international metropolises. Right. And, and so Atlanta was right on the verge, really, prior to, prior to this, of becoming a truly international metropolis on par with Berlin, London, Toronto, Los Angeles, New York, right? And I think that from a reputational standpoint, it was really a huge step backwards. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that it's gonna, it's gonna take quite a few years to overcome that as just reputationally, and this, this has nothing to do necessarily with the entertainment business, this just has to do with our stature as a city beyond being a southern city in the United States, right. but being an international, world-class city. And and as I and I and when I talked to the governor, I told him I said, "Listen, I've got philosophically, I know that we could all spend three lifetimes trying to unpack abortion, a woman's right to uh, choose whatever for her own body, a right to life for a fetus. I mean, these are massive philosophical questions right. that are incredibly difficult to unpack. And wherever you are in the spectrum of belief in that." you are philosophically in a position that is defensible. Absolutely. Right, so these are incredibly complicated philosophical questions. Um, from a practical standpoint, we're just, it's its out of step, I'd say, with um, general modern Western society to force anything on a adult woman. Right. Right, so I think these are—I think they're very difficult things. But from a, if you want to know about the entertainment industry, like how it's affecting the entertainment industry. Yeah, right now. Yeah, right now, um, it's already had effect. And, and what I'll tell you is that and that effect, again, is not a moral debate. It's not a political debate. It's just a business climate, right? And so imagine that the th- that three of us ran Disney. And our job is to produce $8 billion a year of content. And we want to produce that stuff in a manufacturing 
predictable way. Right. Um, in places where it's cost advantageous, so we're going to do the majority of that in um, cities that have or states or countries that have tax credits, right? Because that's sure. cost advantageous. Then we need really good infrastructure, which places like New Mexico haven't had, right? right? Places like Pittsburgh haven't had. The thing that put Atlanta on the map is that when Dan Cathy built Pinewood, ah, right. mm-hmm. suddenly we had world-class infrastructure that could compete at the, at the highest levels of LA, New York, London. And then we, all the um, services started to, to coalesce around Pinewood, and then the multiplier started. And then we could build Black Hall, right? Because Pinewood had already had success. From a real estate standpoint, it was in a little bit of a weird location, being down in Fayetteville. So it was right. a long way outside the city. Yeah. So our thesis was just simply, well, what if we built Pinewood Closer. in the city? Right? And my friends in LA were like, if you build Pinewood in the city, you're going to kill it. Right? Because the only thing that we don't like about Pinewood, because it's beautiful, is driving. Right? right. It, just, it, it doesn't, it's not easily conducive to life in the city. It took right? us 25 minutes to get here. It was a piece of cake. So all of that infrastructure then elevated us to a place where we became on par with London and Toronto and Vancouver. And those are really, there's, there's really only four major production hubs that are not LA or New York. Right. And it's those cities. Right. And so we got elevated and we became the number one place to film movies and television from a desirability standpoint. Because if you're going to leave Los Angeles, it's easier to go to Atlanta and be in an American environment with American workers in with American laws, with American standards of life. Right. And, and so like your life isn't disrupted that much culturally. Right. Whereas when you go to London, it's still a totally different culture, even right. though, you know, there's some language barrier. You know, when I lived in England, I used to tell my English friends, now remember, English is my second language. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right, because it is. You know, there's a big difference between uh, British culture Absolutely. and American culture. Absolutely. So um, we were sitting in number one, and then post-Heartbeat, what's happened is um, we've created a level of uncertainty in their manufacturing process. And that level of uncertainty is, what if I pipeline this movie or that movie and these television shows, and what if the director decides not to show up because they won't work in Georgia? What if the actress decides not to show up? What if the producer can't do it because the producer's married to an actress who has decided that she can't work in Georgia, right? So this snowball effect from a pure workforce standpoint, we've created so much workforce uncertainty for our production companies that they're now having to take action to plan around Georgia. Now, even if the, so the heartbeat bill, I don't think the heartbeat bill will ever go into effect, right? You don't? Oh, no, I don't. I mean, you see what's happening in the other states. It's all being struck down by federal courts. I don't think this will hold up at at the uh, federal level, let alone the Supreme Court level. Right. So I don't think there's, I don't think there's any question about this ever actually coming to effect. The trouble is uh, right now, until it's resolved, and I and I've had it's this, a limbo state. Yeah, it's a limbo where state. Where it is and a so possibility. There's nothing that business people hate more than uncertainty. Right, risk management. It's all risk management. Absolutely. It's all, it's all. How do I get my capital invested and an end product, and have and turn a profit? And if I'm allocating billions of dollars in capital, and one of the important pieces to my manufacturing process is human beings. I can't, I'm not making widgets with robots. No. Right, 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 right. right. It, these, these talented human beings 
from the director, producer, actor, cinematographer, all the way down to the makeup artists and the uh, hairstylists and the uh, costume designers. These are specialized people that they're not easy to replace. And so if I put myself in a position where I'm trying to manufacture in a location where I can't attract the best and the brightest, I'm at a disadvantage. And so that's really what's happening right now is Disney's looking elsewhere, right? right. They're, they're looking to London first. They were they're very looking... public. Iger was very public about how he did not uh, support this. Sure. I, I really believe, though, what you have to remember about Hollywood is Hollywood is not a liberal bastion. Right. Hollywood is just a bunch of human beings like any industry, right? right? And there are as many conservative, Trump-supporting, uh, yep. politically-leaning people, people yep. in Hollywood yeah. as there would be somebody that's as far left as you could imagine, who, right? whoever's the most far left and the most far right, these people all exist in Hollywood. Exactly. On, on probably a percentage basis that would be on par with Everywhere almost else. anywhere else, right? So it has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with business certainty. Yeah. Right, and so that's the key. Is that, you know, when I, the conversations I've been having with politicians are, are along the lines of, um, as soon as we believe that this heartbeat bill can never go into effect, because listen, I accept that our legislature voted for this bill, I accept that our governor signed this bill into law, and they they both did that, believing that they were doing the right thing. Let's accept that they okay. they're, they're all doing what they believe is the right thing. As soon as we all believe that that is never going to become a law, then we should take away the uncertainty and move on with our lives. Right. And so that's really the piece that I'm trying to help everybody Get understand to. is say, listen, giving up the fight when it's a lost cause is not, um, is not cowardice. It's noble. This is what noble people do. And you tell this to our governor? I, I have, I've had this conversation with our governor. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So, you know, that's where I'm, well, I'm hoping practically. You. What did he think? What is, he, is he worried about the economic impact at all on his governorship and his time as governor? Because this think, will have a measurable he, impact. He has to oh, consider it. I, mean. I, think, I think he really genuinely cares about Georgia. I think he genuinely cares about um, uh, the economy in Georgia. And I think, um, I think he is learning about the entertainment industry. And what I've tried to help him understand is that people in the inter entertainment industry, they are not um, philosophical zealots. These are very practical people who will vote for whomever protects their jobs. So gotcha. the, their jobs are more important than many other ideas. And if he could be the one who would be the champion of protecting entertainment jobs, those 90,000 people who have jobs because of the entertainment industry in Georgia will be thankful. Yep. Well, thank you for going and doing that. How did that meeting come about? Yeah, you know, this business in Georgia, the entertainment biz business is also political because of the tax credit, right? If the tax credit sure. goes away, this entire business disappears. Yeah. So inherently, by being a movie studio, we are now in, involved in politics. So, gotcha. you know, I have lobbyists that, that we employ that keep me abreast of the things that are going on. And then in situations like this would say, well, there's nobody better to talk to about this than the governor. Right. Right. I mean, the governor needs to hear your voice um, and, and hear what's going on on the front lines. I'd like to talk a little bit about Black Hall. Are you one of the founders? Are you come in on board when it was up and running? No. Um, no, I founded Black Hall, and Black Hall is the name Black Hall comes from 
um, a street in Oxford, actually. Oh, okay. So the the college that I studied at in, in Oxford is called Keeble College. Okay. And Keeble College is flanked by two roads, Parks Road on one side and Blackhall Road on the other. So the name Blackhall, we were uh, searching for a name, right? Yeah. And uh, I actually hired a marketing firm that was a name specialist marketing firm. <laughs> okay. They came up with a hundred terrible names. Oh my God! Tell us two of them. Yeah, I can't even. What think came of in second to Blackhall? Well, there was, no. I mean, there there were there were like uh, I'll I'll make up a name okay. that would be like one of the names okay. that I'll that they came it. up with. It would be like um, Gray Sparrow Studios. Ooh. Oh yeah, Lions Gate. It, it yeah. always combined yeah. names because for these people, it's very hard to find a name where you can get intellectual property rights. Right. And so if you combine names, then you can almost always come up with intellectual property rights because Gray Sparrow either is or is not. Whereas Sparrow Studios would be really hard to get the intellectual property to, most yeah. likely. But so Black Hall, this name came up, and we'd been going through this whole process. Actually, the third time they gave me a list of names, I said to them, I can't believe you guys do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when they told me all about how hard this is, right, to come, right? But no. so anyway, I was I was actually visiting Oxford and I was out on a walk and I came up on this road, Blackhall Road. And I thought Blackhall, that's a great name. It's it right here next to Keeble, and so it's, it's like cool. a homage to yep. like the time I was there. And um, and so I emailed my attorneys in the U.S. and I told them this name and and they said, well, let's we'll look into it to see if we can get the intellectual property rights. And they got back to me 48 hours later, and they said, you won't believe this. This name is so clean, you can have it everywhere no. in the world. Oh, my God. Wow. I said, how is that possible? It's meant to be. Right. Because like it. it's so it's simple. It's meant to be. It sounds like a name that could be 100 years old. It's very right? cool. I mean, you and Ted Turner, because I worked at Turner Broadcasting uh, right after they integrated MGM and that whole library into that company. And I worked with a guy named Bill Burke who, um, after he left Turner, he went to be president of the Weather Channel, and now he owns a little uh, minor league baseball team up in Maine. But he was doing exactly the same thing that you did until he had lunch with Ted Turner. And Ted said, listen, Bill, I got a name. Turner Classic Movies. Done. That was it. So so you are just like Ted. That's fantastic. Listen, I mean, uh, if I could have half the success that Ted's had or right. half the impact he's had on this town, I would be he's, beyond He's thrilled. a very, very um, interesting fellow. He's very eccentric. Absolutely. You know, yeah. big personality. Yeah, I've met him a couple of times. He was very, very nice to me. Very good. Very good to me. So you told us years in the making, developing, but you said in 2017, when you opened, 2017, you opened your doors, it was like being shot out of a cannon. Right. Yeah. Why? Well, I think it was 100% about location and quality of, of uh, build and then just scale, right? To have something this big inside the city um, was a novelty for the production companies. And so it, wasn't, it, 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 it was quickly assessed and quickly shared, right? right? And so then uh, we had two big productions. We had a, a legendary production and a Lionsgate production come in. They had huge amounts of, of success and happy experience and they told their friends and really in this business we have 12 clients in the whole world generally right, right? and just you'd know all their names and these are the people making 50 billion dollars a year worth of content and georgia needs three billion dollars of that right. to maintain its status right now so it just you know it, it spreads like wildfire it's a small industry 
and people, it, it's no different than like if a new cool bar opens up. You're like, right. why is it right. full? Well, everybody came and they liked it and they told their friends. Yep. And so that's what's happened it's, here. That's the same. It's always the same. What was it like when you signed your first contract? We, well, we, I mean, we were overjoyed. Uh, well, we were excited, but you know, until you actually, um, until you actually get somebody in the facility, then they could always walk away. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, especially when you're first opening. Like, if things aren't right, they could show up and they could say, "No, I'm leaving." So there was a lot more stress, right? To get to get people in there for the first time is a lot of stress. And a lot of uh, a lot of experts that you had to bring in, a lot of people that knew how to set up for a, well, a major motion yeah, picture. Absolutely, and we—I mean—we had people involved who made mistakes, and people involved that had to fix things that other people, right. you know. So there's just lots of stress, all different directions. But we were really thankful when they finally got here, and, amazing, and it went well. Amazing. Tell us about the expansion. You're already expanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we're um, we're 100 percent occupied, and um, for how long? We, you know, I can't give anybody space until 2021. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not true. I have some space in 2020 left. Now, I will say that that's if this, fast. I, yes. I, I will say that um, one of the things I didn't finish up on the heartbeat bill is that right now, if things don't change pretty rapidly, then what'll happen is will everybody in Atlanta will be empty, and the reason is is that if right now London had a thousand extra sound stages. Yeah there'd be nothing in Atlanta. So right now we're getting all the runoff. So what's happening is like, let's say, okay, Disney's having a meeting and they say, see if you can find the stuff that's not Georgia, just because there's too much uncertainty around Georgia. Yeah. So then the guys go out and they say, well, I went to London, everything's full. Toronto. Went to Toronto, everything's full. Vancouver, everything's full. New Mexico doesn't have any space. The last time somebody built the studio there, it failed. So it's going to be hard to get anybody to build more space there. So there's nothing for us to, even though New Mexico has a nice tax credit, they don't have any facilities. Right. Pittsburgh really wants us to come, but they don't have any facilities. And I said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, Atlanta has space. Mm. <laughs> and it's really nice. Right. And we've right. been done it, and we've been there, and it's worked. And, and they say, really? Like, our only option right now is Atlanta? Oh. Right? And so we went from being the place Top. where they say, hey, if there's space in Atlanta, get it, to now it's... Well, Atlanta's the only place we can go. Okay. Right? So we're still full right now because the rest of the world is full. But because of our political standing, we're on the downslope where really, um, if things don't change in a hurry, then we're just dead men walking. Yep. How do we, how do, how do we know when it's, like, what, what do we have to do? Um, like you said, it has to be, people have to know and be certain that this isn't going to happen. Yeah, so we, what is it going to take to get there? Well, what we need, you know, and again, like I've been talking about just the governor, but a lot of politicians about the fact that when this gets struck down by the federal courts, because right. it will, it will, right? Then as Georgians, we shouldn't be spending the time, energy, or effort to fight that. Right. We should just say, okay, okay, we get it. Listen, we passed a piece of legislation. The governor signed it into law. The federal courts have told us that it's unconstitutional. Over. Okay, yeah. let's move on with our lives. But that's and so that and if that's the answer, that would actually be a perfectly fine outcome, right? Because nobody's going to hold that against us, other than the fact that then they might say, "Well, what's the next piece of legislation They're that's going to that's going to mess up my production pipeline?" So we need to then prove to them that we care enough about this industry to be good partners to create 
a place of certainty for them to do their productions. So, but I think the next big thing that we could do to really right the ship is just when this gets knocked down in the federal courts to just say, we accept that we're going to move on with our lives instead of dragging it out. Cause dragging it out just drags out the uncertainty and leaves yes. our production partners in a place where they have to find places that have more certainty. Gotcha. Very um, interesting uh, position we're in right now, and and, and we're going to keep our fingers crossed for but a really positive future. It's very valid. That's absolutely what will probably happen. I don't absolutely. think anyone really thinks it's going to not be struck down or make it through the courts. I don't know. I no, don't I don't think there's any chance it makes it through the courts. I, I mean, I we've already been how. shown that by yeah. the other states that the, the bills have been kicked back, and our our legislation is basically the same language as those legislation. Okay, so fast forward. Things say that the bill bill's gone, not an issue. Mm-hmm. Business is booming. You ha- you're already thinking about what's next, right? Absolutely. Well, you know, we're in the process of building in London, so you know, we're trying to finalize a couple pieces of land. Is in that London. why you were there? That's why I was in London. Okay, because yeah. I've been emailing you for months trying to get in here to see you, and and it's always nice to get an email back saying I'm in London. Uh, I'll call you when I get back, and I was like, well, I'm in Decatur. Damn, I want to be in London too. So you're building in London. That's very exciting. Yeah, we're building. Now we started uh, the process of building in London before the heartbeat bill. So this isn't some like response to the heartbeat bill. Um, Really, it's a response to our clients. One of our biggest clients came to me and said, "We really love Black Hall. We really need to be in London. If you'd build a Black Hall in London." We'd sign a five-year pre-lease before you put a shovel in the Hello. ground. Really? Yeah. Really? Right. So then Hello. that made the decision a lot easier to decide to go to London. And so, where are you in London? Um, well, we have three different pieces of land that we're trying to decide between right now. Okay. How exciting! So, you know, it's it's exciting. So you're looking at utilities and accessibility Everything. and transportation and very cool. Mm-hmm. And the neighborhood? Do they want you? In London? Yeah. Um, the answer is yes. You know. The UK in general is in a very interesting political time, right, yeah. with Brexit. And so they're searching for good news wins yeah. on the economic side. Yeah. Um, the, the story of a big, successful U.S. studio being willing to come to the UK and bring a, a lot of money to invest into the UK to create 1,500 or 3,000 uh, jobs in the UK, because the facility in the UK is almost three times the size. Um, that's a big story for them, that's right? Huge. Just like it would be anywhere when you're building stuff that you know is a lot of jobs. Uh, so I think there's a lot of positive. Um, Boris Johnson, who's just become the prime minister, yep. you know, he's a very pro-growth oriented politician. Gotcha. And so I think that's going to be very positive for us in that process okay. as well. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Anywhere else in the U.S. are you going to still hang out here in Georgia? Well, we're going to expand in Georgia on some level of faith, right? We're going to believe, you know, my experience in Georgia is that this is wonderfully intelligent, cultured human beings that run this state, yeah. right, in general, right? And that doesn't apply all the time and in all circumstance. But in a lot of cases, that's been my experience. And so I'm betting on the fact that as more people understand what's happening, yeah. that they'll say, we want the movie industry to flourish here. And we don't want to um, start moral fights that have negative economic impact, especially ones that we can't even win. Right. Right? I mean, it's one thing if you're taking a moral stance on something that you think you can win. 
But if you can't win it, then and it's just having negative effect. What's I, the point? What's the point? Right. And yeah. so I think Georgians are pretty practical. And so even though um, I think Georgians are philosophical and idealistic in beautiful, wonderful ways, like America as a culture is, um, I would say that I'm going to make a bet that Georgia comes out in the right place here. I think so. Yeah. I hope so. Me too. All right, I have one more question. Go for it. I know you can't talk about some things we're talking about. You can't take pictures. You can't talk about it. Some things in the past. But for our listeners, what really cool things are coming up? Coming up? or Well, um, I'll tell you some of the things that have happened here that are really cool, that more things like it will happen. Okay. Right? So, you know, uh, Godzilla was made here. Yeah. And, you know, had, I think, a really good uh, theatrical experience. Absolutely. Did really well. Um, Venom was made here. Yeah. They came in right after Godzilla. Uh, and then um, Jungle Cruise, which n- most people on this on this podcast probably have never heard of Jungle Cruise. It's Check a it out. huge Disney movie yeah. with The Rock. But, you know, that's that's going to be one of the biggest movies of 2020. And so this time next year, everybody will know what Jungle Cruise gotcha. is. And the things that they, you know, they built a 750,000-gallon water tank here from scratch. Very uh, cool. Um, they Got to see it, folks. Very cool. You know, they, they filmed uh, most of the scenes that are the Amazon River in that wow. water tank. And yeah. they created all these currents. And they had scaffolding built up 75 feet. I mean, it was amazing, like, the stuff that, that went on. Uh, they built a a, a a 45-foot treehouse that you know it was a, it was an entire like treehouse village Very cool. that was inside one of the stages Very that was just cool. phenomenal. Um, so you know it's been fun to have the rock around campus. Like yeah. he's just you know everybody who knows him meets him spends time with him just loves the guy. What a lovely he man. He seems like it. You never know, but he seems like it. You know? Everybody says it. So yeah. what I'll tell you about this business is if he wasn't. Everybody would say that. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, true. nobody's nobody's lying to each other. Oh, they, we're they happy to have him here truth. in Georgia. Yeah. yeah, he did a he he shot some kids with his iPhone. If he has an iPhone uh, on 85 South who were going to a baseball game oh. and they were so psyched to see him in his SUV. It was Love It. It was Love It High School, right? Yep. Yeah. Yes, right, right, mm. right. You got and what, it. And what was funny about that is that First, The Rock posted the video that he took right. of the kids in the bus who recognized him through yep. his windshield. Right, because right? he has crazy. really dark windows in his yep. truck. Yep. Right, but he drives himself. Right, and, and he so, has an he has an outline that is just you know yeah you pretty can recognizable tell. absolutely. And everybody knows when he's in town. Right, you know, it's right. Gets somewhere. But so he takes this video of the kids like going nuts out of the bus <laughs> and videoing him. And then, like seven days later, one of the kids had gotten the video that the kid had taken from the bus of the rock, and he posted that. <laughs> you know, so you got both sides that were very, very <laughs> he's a really very, playful, very cool. fun yeah. guy to have around. Yep, yep, lovely, lovely guy. Well, I just want to say that um, uh, Mr. Ryan Millsap has been in an incredible host Absolutely. to Girls on Film and making time for us and showing us the studio and giving us so much background and also looking at everything that you've done thus far i am extremely interested and excited to see what is next and thank you for doing this i mean i I love the theme the girls on film i have three daughters myself we love daughters awesome (laughs) so i've got i've got a 14 year old i'm gonna i'll give a shout out to them because they'll probably listen to this at some point so i've got a 14 year old sublin a 12 year old 12 year old simone and a nine year old giselle and so this kind of stuff i think is really it's awesome that uh, they have other women yeah 
you know, all throughout the world pulling for them. We, we, we love the girls. We love the girls on film. And we brought you some candy. Thank so, you. Oh, great. Just know. what I <laughs> Hey, you know what? A long, a long day, a piece of, a blow pop goes a long way. A little sugar yep. rush. <laughs> anything, anything from you on closing, my dear? No, I've enjoyed our time here. Enjoyed seeing the studios. I'm looking forward to what's coming out of here next. We are. We are girls on film, and we are out. Out.